reading this morning will be from John chapter 18, verses 33 to 36. Again, that's John 18, verses 33 through 36. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. We're glad you're here today, and we do appreciate your presence. As Steve Lehman mentioned, a 6 p.m. service, and at that service, the Lord willing, uh, Carrie Dwyer is going to uh, present uh, some information about their recent trip to India and the work that was done there. Uh, we've been supporting that work now for more than two and a half decades, and we feel that it has been a worthwhile work, and we hope that you will come and share that uh, encouraging time with us. After Jesus was arrested in that garden place called Gethsemane, he was charged by, with blasphemy, according to Acts 26.25. But keep in mind that that was a religious accusation made by Jews to Jews. When the Lord was brought before Roman authorities, a different charge would be necessary. Roman officials would care little about blasphemy of a God in whom they had no interest. And so a new charge was made. Luke 23 verse 2 says, They began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation." and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Pilate, the Roman procurator, would have to be very concerned about that charge. Any threat to imperial Rome would be a threat that had to be dealt with decisively. As Pilate Question Jesus, he asked him if he were a king. And our Lord answered truthfully, Luke 23, verse 3, It is as you say. But you heard the reading a few moments ago, and John's account tells us Jesus was careful to clarify that answer. He said to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. That declaration of Jesus, my kingdom is not of this world, is extremely important. And like so many of the things that Jesus said during the time he was on the earth, this one has been misunderstood. We need to be sure we understand what Jesus was saying when he said, My kingdom is not of this world. 
I'm going to take the time, and I hope you'll take it with me, to look at the Lord's kingdom. And, and in doing so, we're going to group our thoughts into just four headings. The first heading would be this, fundamentals about the kingdom. You see, you cannot understand or appreciate the Lord's kingdom unless and until you understand how the word kingdom is used in the New Testament. That word appears more than 150 times in the New Testament, and it is used in at least four different ways. It could refer to a geographical territory. Matthew 4 tells us that when the devil was tempting Christ, verse 8 saying, He took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. That was a visual sighting of property. And the devil was saying, here are the territories of men. So kingdom is sometimes used in that way. But the word is also used to talk about the rule or the reign of God. Jesus told a parable on one occasion about wicked husbandmen, that is keepers of a vineyard. And, and in telling that parable, he did so to illustrate how the Jews kept rejecting God's spokesmen who were sent to them. And Jesus made sure they understood what the result of that rejection would be. Matthew 21 and verse 43 says, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. God would terminate his rule or his reign over the Jews and would begin to rule over a new nation. Now is that territory, like is used in the first example? No, because Peter tells Christians in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, you are a holy nation. You Christians are a holy nation. That's, that's the reign of God. But in connection with that term, the term kingdom is sometimes used as a synonym for the church. Many of you are familiar with Matthew 16. Jesus sought to know what men were saying about him. And after the disciples told him what others were saying, he specifically asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter responded, you're the Christ, and, and Jesus wanted to reward him for that truthful statement. And so in verse 18, Jesus says, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to establish my church. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Are those two different things? No. When you come to Acts 2 and that Pentecost day and you see Peter preaching, he does in fact use the keys to the kingdom and opens that 
door for people to enter it. Jesus also promised this. He said his disciples would eat and drink at his table in his kingdom. Luke 22, verse 30. That happens every Sunday. It happened today here as we observe the Lord's Supper in his kingdom. There's a fourth way that the word is used, but I want to save that for a little later in the sermon. But having seen a little bit of the foundations that are present, we need also to pay a little attention to a fallacy that some hold about the kingdom. A fallacy is a mistaken idea. And in the religious world today, there are many fallacies. We're not trying to just be critical of those, but we have to be aware of them, because if it's a mistake, we don't want to be guilty of believing a mistake. But one of the fallacies believed by many, many people in the religious world among different denominations is a mistaken idea about the kingdom, and it goes under the name premillennialism. Premillennialism. There's, there's a lot that's wrong with premillennialism, but we don't have the time to address all the errors involved in it. But a major part of the mistake of premillennialism is the belief that Jesus came to the earth to set up his kingdom and failed to do so. Because the Jews rejected him, he couldn't set up his kingdom, and so instead he made plans for the church to exist until he could come back to the earth and then set up his kingdom. There is nothing in that that is supported by the scriptures. Nothing. Now we have to ask some questions of our premillennial friends. Was Jesus in fact mistaken when he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world? You know how premillennialists get around that sometimes? I read what one man wrote and he said, what Jesus was really saying to Pilate was, not yet. My kingdom's not yet of this world, but it's going to be. Couldn't he have said that easily? He said, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would fight. Because that's what you would expect from a physical kingdom. We, we, we have to ask ourselves this. Was Jesus wrong in Mark 9 verse 1? You remember in that place he spoke to a group of people and he said, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Some of you people, Jesus said, who are listening to me will be alive when the kingdom comes. Was Jesus wrong? Was Paul wrong when he wrote Colossians 1 verse 13? He says to the church in Colossae, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Conveyed is past tense. He delivered us, past tense, and He conveyed us past tense, into the kingdom. Was, he, was Paul wrong? What about John? Was he wrong in Revelation 1 verse 9? He says, I, John, 
both your brother and companion of, in the tribulation and kingdom. And patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I'm your companion. Where? In the kingdom. Was John wrong? No, Jesus wasn't wrong. And Paul wasn't wrong. And John wasn't wrong. Only the premillennialists are wrong. To believe and to teach a false doctrine. We need also to think about some features of this kingdom. Jesus said, not of this world. There are some special qualities about his kingdom that make it different from all other kingdoms. One of those differences is its very nature. You see, the kingdom of Christ is a spiritual kingdom, not a material kingdom. Jesus was no rival of Caesar. And Caesar was no rival of Jesus. They were operating in, in regard to different kingdoms. You and I need to be sure that we understand that church and state are not the same. You can be a citizen of both church and state. But dear friends... The Lord's church, his kingdom, is not affiliated with the USA. And unfortunately, I think sometimes there are people who live in this country who think that God has some kind of special relationship in his kingdom with this territorial place called the USA. I'm not dis degrading this country. I'm saying that God's kingdom is bigger and different than the United States. Listen to Jesus in Mark 12 and verse 27. 12 and 17, excuse me. Jesus says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Would that the Jews had understood that. and Would that we Americans would also understand it. We render to Washington what is Washington's, but we render to God what is God's. So not only is the nature different, its tactics are different. Remember what Jesus told Pilate? If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Physical kingdoms often become engaged in carnal warfare. But the Lord's kingdom is different because it's only involved in spiritual battles. And incidentally, those are battles of great consequence. In 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, beginning at verse 3, Paul would write, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In some ways, because the kingdom is spiritual, it is much more difficult than a physical kingdom. 
A physical kingdom can subdue people and make them obey by force. Cannot happen in a spiritual kingdom. We try. We try to make sure that our thoughts are led into captivity to Christ and that we submit to him. But there can be no actual force of that. And those who only think of a physical kingdom cannot appreciate the Lord's kingdom fully. If you would turn to, to uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. I'll wait for you to get there for just a moment. 1 Corinthians 1. I want you to look, first of all, at verse 18. And this is another thing that's so different about the tactics of the kingdom. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then skip down to verse 27 and hear Paul as he continues saying, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Kingdom is different in its nature, it's different in its tactics, but it's also different in its durability. Human kingdoms come and go. Where is the mighty empire of Nebuchadnezzar? Where is the extensive empire of Alexander the Great? Where is the tremendous domain of the Roman government? Gone. They're gone. The Lord's kingdom is different. And from its first foresight, this was made very clear. You recall that Daniel, in Daniel 2 verse 44, centuries before the kingdom would actually come, had prophesied in this way. In the days of these kings, the Roman kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. Notice, and it shall stand forever. Babylon can disappear and Greece can disappear and the U.S. can disappear. God's kingdom will not. In Luke 1 verse 33, an angel spoke to that virgin Mary and telling her about the child that was going to be born to her and what he would be like. Luke 1 he says to her, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Uh, unlike predecessors who were kings of the Jews, David, Solomon, and others whose reign ended, the reign of Christ will not end. And then in Hebrews 12 and verse 28, the writer says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. If you're in the kingdom of Christ right now, you have this assurance. The kingdom of which you are a part 
will never end. You don't have to worry about it being destroyed or disappearing. It won't. There's only one more thing to talk about, and that is the future of the kingdom. Earlier I skipped this fourth way in which the word is sometimes used in the New Testament. And here it is. This word kingdom can and does refer to the eternal home of God's faithful people. In Acts 14, and I'll let you get there if you want to, in Acts 14, verse 22, the Apostle Paul, talking to members of the church, would encourage them. Luke, Luke says it this way, strengthening the souls of the disciples. These are Christians. Exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, and here are Paul's words, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Now these were already kingdom citizens in the kingdom on the earth, the church. But there was coming a time when they would be under the rule of Almighty God in heaven. That's the kingdom of heaven. Again, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 18. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. And finally, Peter would add this, 2 Peter 1, verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to be in the Lord's kingdom because you need to be under the Lord's authority, under his rule. And you need to be in the Lord's kingdom, the church, now, so that you can enjoy the eternal kingdom of God. If you stay out of his kingdom here, the church, why would you expect to enter the eternal kingdom later? You wouldn't. And that would be tragic. But if you all are already claiming that you are in the kingdom, you need to ask yourselves, do I show by my life that the Lord is my king? That I am submitting to his will? That I am doing what he dictates I do? If you're a kingdom citizen, you need to submit to the king. Our invitation song is an encouragement for you if either of those things are needs of yours, either to put on Christ in baptism so that you can be a part of his church, or if you need us to pray with you and for you as one already in the church, but who needs to have life improve by doing better, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.